Well, I have an offensive line behind me this morning <laughs> and uh, on this Mother's Day. And uh, I, I did something today because um, we have a special guest speaker in which my sons are going to introduce. But I took on the role of my wife this morning in trying to get these guys up. And I have a newfound respect for my wife as uh, just trying to get them all going and all dressed, all ready to go. And it's an absolute battle, but it's worth it. And uh, our sons uh, so love their mom and they care for her and uh, she's the superstar in our family. And uh, today, my sons are going to say one thing that they're thankful for, appreciate about their mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing I'm uh, grateful for is my mom had unconditional love on me. I'm grateful that no matter what the situation is, I can always talk about anything with her. And I play D-line. I'm grateful that uh, she is always caring and she will always fight for me. I'm grateful that she's very loving, unconditionally. All right, everybody, put your hands together and let's welcome my mom up to the stage as she's our speaker today. Wow. Thanks, guys. So when I started at Emmanuel, when I was in my, when I was probably 20 years old, I sat over there. And Pastor Nate, which he was just Nate back then, came and sat by me. And I remember feeling kind of like this quickening in my heart. I'm like, wow, I feel safe next to this guy. And we ended up together, and now I'm five times as safe with all my boys. <laughs> you can see... I'm the shortest now by four inches, so I feel very safe. I just want to welcome all of the Maple Grove campus. We're so glad you're here with us today. Can we give a shout out to Maple Grove? Thank you. Welcome. Just want to say good morning and buenos dias to me, uh, amigas que hablan español. So I, I want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom and my mother-in-law who are here today. So that's just awesome. Before I jump into the message, I want to give a quick plug. We have an online study coming up this summer, and it'll run between July 11th and September 2nd, so right between uh, Independence Day and uh, Labor Day. And it's one of those studies, if you're really busy and you don't have a whole lot of time to put into it, ladies, this is for you. Uh, this can go with you wherever you go, if you end up at the cabin, or if you're at work, or if your kids are taking a nap, or wherever you have internet or email access, you can participate. And it's free, unless you want to buy a book, and the books are available today in the lobby for $10. And I'm excited to say that we have the books available in Spanish, and the online study will also be available in Spanish. So that's pretty exciting. We'll, dis we'll discuss characteristics of influence such as courage and authenticity, and it'll be really exciting. So books for sale in Lobby 2 for $10. If you're not a reader, you do not have to have a book for the study. You can participate without it. So today is Mother's Day, and Mother's Day is a special day at Emmanuel. It's a day where we celebrate not just moms, but we celebrate all women. 
Each of us are at a different place in life. Some of us enjoy Mother's Day and others do not. Some are grieving the loss of a child and others are grieving the loss of a mother. Some never married or had kids or wanted kids. Some have struggled with infertility. But all women, no matter where we're at in life, have value. And we all have the opportunity to invest in the next generation and those around us. And for that matter, so do all you guys. So this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Happy Mother's Day. Feliz Dia de la Madre. So I want to share a quick story with you about growing up. I am the youngest of five kids. And if you've heard my story at all, you know that I have an identical twin sister. And it's not easy getting attention when you have a twin and when you're the youngest of five kids. In fact, our house was pretty busy. My mom had five kids by the time she was 23. Now that is amazing. Love you, Mom. <laughs> we always had people over to our house. We were kind of the party house. We had our relatives. We had our mom and par my parents' family and friends. We had neighbors that came over, and they were always over for a good time. And as a kid, I can remember always wanting attention. Now, I'm not saying that my parents didn't give me attention. They did. But I really wanted a little bit more. And in fact, when uh, my parents would have people offer to take the kids for the weekend, like all five of us, so they could have time by themselves, not me. I wouldn't go. I didn't like to go to other people's houses. And so then nighttime would roll around, and I'd realize that I was the only kid left in the house. And I'd go, Mom and Dad, can I sleep between you? I'm really scared. So they couldn't get rid of me. But. I remember a time when I was six years old, and my twin sister and I, Jamie, had just started kindergarten. And Jamie came home from school, and she made this profound statement. And she looks at my mom, and she's like, Mom, it was like before kindergarten, the whole world was closed to me. But now that I'm in kindergarten, it's like the whole world opened up, and I can remember everything. And my mom was like, wow, Jamie. And so all these people would be at our house. And my mom would go, Jamie, come here. Come here. Tell them what you just said. Tell them, Did you hear what Jamie said? That was like really amazing. Like, and I thought, I wonder if I will ever be able to come up with a profound statement like that. <laughs> now, my sister and my mom weren't the problem. But that situation kind of marked me. And I thought, I was wondering if I would ever be able to come up with something that profound. And I couldn't in my six-year-old self. Now, I, um, as I grew up, I found myself to be a little bit of a people pleaser. Like I was always trying to get people, please people so that they would feel good about me and then that would help me feel good about me. And then I became the type of person who wanted to win God's attention and approval too. Recently, I had an opportunity to go to a conference, and it was such an amazing time for me, and it was the first time that I had ever heard the song, Good, Good Father, and that's why I requested it today. And during that song, it was like I was so connected with the Lord, and I was entering into this worship, and as I had my eyes closed, God began to drop a vision in my heart. Now, this hasn't happened before to me, and it hasn't happened since. 
But it was like the Lord gave me a picture of my whole life. I saw myself as a little child and as a toddler and as a preschooler and if they got the pictures. So it was like a slideshow um, of my whole life flashed before me. And there were moments where it was like slow motion picture, you know, and then it, and at the very end of this vision, I saw Jesus and he looked at me and he said, I see you. And it was such a healing time that I stood there and I cried and I cried. And my friend, Jane, who her husband's coming to speak in a couple of weeks, looked at me and she's like, are you okay? Cause like, this ain't that good, you know? <laughs> Why are you crying? And I'm like, God is speaking to me, and the Lord is doing this healing in my heart. A few weeks after that slideshow vision or whatever it was I had, I was home, and I was driving around, and I was running errands and kind of unpacking it and thinking, what did that mean? And I prayed, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what does that mean? What did that vision, what did you mean by I see you? And the Lord dropped it right into my heart, and he said, I saw you the whole time but you were not looking up. The title of my message today is Look Up. The Bible has a lot to say about looking up. Don't we all look down sometimes? Maybe we're at a stoplight and we pull out our cell phone and we're quickly changing the music. Now I know none of you do that because that's illegal, right? We get honked at and we're kind of caught looking down. Or we can be at the gym and the fitness instructor tries to remind us, look up so your form is right and you can breathe better. Maybe life circumstances get to us and we find ourselves in a state of grief. We hope for a promotion and we didn't get it and we find ourselves a little overlooked. We ask, will my life ever count? Does God see me or notice me at all? We spend so much time looking down and around at our circumstances that we fail to see him looking at us. So what does the Bible say about this? Turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 14. And if you don't have your Bible, it's okay because we will put it on the screen. We're going to read about the story about Peter and Jesus walking on the water. And I can really identify with Peter. So starting Matthew 14, starting with verse 22, I'm going to read uh, the New Living Translation. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said, Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Here are four lessons from the storm. 
Don't doubt you're in God's plan when you run into trouble. Verse 22 says Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. How many times do we doubt that we're in God's will when we find ourselves in a rough situation? Whether it's our job and your boss is really hard on you and you're like, God, did you really send me? Or maybe you're the boss and your employees are underperforming and you're watching your bottom line go away. Maybe you're in school and you're going, wow, my grades are really hard and this is really a struggle and I wonder if God really wants me to do this. Or maybe being a mom, you're going, I thought kids are supposed to be a lot better than this. Now, earlier, Stacy mentioned that when you have little kids, you don't get a lot of sleep. And I'm like, she'll find out soon when you get teenagers, you don't get a lot of sleep. And when you get young adults, you improve your prayer life. So it would have been easy in this situation for the disciples to second guess themselves. Did the Lord really want us to go in the boat? Did he know that we were going to go into this storm? But the Bible says that Jesus insisted that they went. And they obeyed the master, which landed them in the middle of a storm. The second lesson from the storm is our efforts are not enough. Peter and the disciples were not able to stop the storm. Their efforts couldn't save them or get them to their destination. Verse 24 says, and they were fighting the heavy waves. So they were doing it. The disciples looked within themselves and around at the storm, and in their own strength, they came up short. So our efforts are not enough. The third thing that we can learn from the storm is Jesus joins us in the storm. He did not stop the storm right away. Verse 27 said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. Courage is the strength in the midst of pain and grief. It's not an absence of it. I find it interesting how fear plays into this story as well. The disciples see Jesus and were afraid, not really thinking that Jesus could show up in their situation. After all, it's impossible for Jesus to walk on water, and would he really show up in a storm? Will we see Jesus and be afraid and not really believe that it's him coming to meet us? Don't be afraid when Jesus shows up and he brings a supernatural to your life. Number four, we never are beyond God's reach when we call upon him. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in this story, in verse 30, Peter said, save me, Lord, he shouted, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Even when we have fear or doubt, when it creeps into our life and we feel like we're lacking in faith, we are still within Jesus' reach when we call out to him. Isn't that a great promise? Jesus fetched Peter out of the water, calmed the storm, probably threw a towel around Peter, and the storm stops, and Peter and all the disciples were able to get to their destination. So what else does the Bible have to say about looking up? It, it actually says quite a bit. I'm going to share with you a few more verses. Genesis 15:5. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Luke 22:28. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. John 4, 35, 
Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. John 12, 32. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. So the Bible has a lot to say about looking up and where we fix our eyes and attention. Again, Jesus told Peter, take courage, I am here. When we spend more time looking around us at the circumstances, we actually get the opposite of courage. We get discouraged. Discourage means to deprive of confidence, hope, or spirit. The enemy is out to discourage us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But the Bible also says that Jesus is watching us and the Lord is watching us. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither, neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Isn't that an awesome promise? <laughs> Hallelujah. So what's our role in this situation? Well, we need to look up and see the Lord. Do you know that you can choose to look up? My sons played basketball, and they've played for years. And we have spent so much time in the gym, I hate to even count the hours. Players can learn to dribble with their head up so they can see the full court. So often, young players can get caught uh, shooting and missing a basket, and they get so discouraged that they drop their head and they think all about the missed basket instead of the rest of the game. And at points like this, you'll hear a coach yell, keep your head up, or the parents will yell, keep your head in the game. And what that means is keep your head up and play defense. And so today, I'm here to encourage you, keep your head up and play some defense. <laughs> Stay in the game. So what are the things that discourage us? Circumstances, people's opinions, including those opinions we have of ourselves, dreams delayed, exhaustion, fear, complaining, illness, focusing in on negative things, sin, and I realized that I had been believing the lie of the enemy, that I needed to do something to capture God's attention. When I realized he loved me through my entire life and that he saw me the whole time, I began to feel the freedom to know that I'm okay and that I did not need to do anything to earn his approval or capture his attention. And neither do you. I was able to look up and embrace a positive outlook, and that's when my faith was encouraged. 
So in the story of Peter walking on the water, he had a choice of where he was going to look. He did not have a choice about the circumstances he was in. Was he going to look at Jesus or was he going to look at the storm? And in this story, he did both. And he had two different outcomes. How many of you have done strength finders? So a lot, I mean, people in business, yeah, me too. And focus is in my top five strengths. Now, it can also be one of my top five weaknesses too, if I focus on the wrong things. I discovered that the enemy tried to get me to focus on things that are wrong, to try to get me, get my eyes back on the circumstances instead of on Jesus. As I begun to focus on the things that are right, it helps me keep my eyes on Jesus instead of the circumstances. It's a choice we can all learn to make because no matter what's happening in our lives, as long as our eyes are on Jesus, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The next thing, don't let distractions keep you from your destiny. Peter became distracted by the storm. He started looking at the storm instead of Jesus. If he, had, if he hadn't got his eyes on Jesus, maybe he wouldn't have made it to his destination and he could have sunk right there in the water. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Mary and Martha, where Martha is always busy doing things for the Lord instead of spending time with him. I'm going to share a couple verses from that story, Luke 10, starting in verse 38. She, Martha, came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? And I just love saying this verse because I'm a sister. <laughs> Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. In some translations of this scripture, it says she was distracted. Do you know we can miss the mission God has for us when we're distracted from those he put around us? The Bible, or not the Bible, but the, this old saying says, if the devil can't make you bad, he's going to make you busy. And we live in a distracted world with social media, Laptops, cell phones, TVs, video games, Instagram, Pinterest, sorry, moms, <laughs> Facebook. We have our goals to be a career person, buy a nice house, and go on a great vacation. Maybe some of us are on the other end of the spectrum and we're just distracted by trying to survive. We can get so distracted by bad news that we forget about the good news, all the things that are on TV in our world that's going wrong. Susie Larson said this last week, if we watch too much bad news, we miss the fact that the good news is on the move, changing lives in communities all over the world. I saw a post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago and it really impacted me. This post went viral about six months ago and it was a young mom who had twin boys and she wanted to do an experiment. And her experiment was to put down her phone and watch her kids. Isn't that kind of an amazing idea? So this is the, the post that went viral on Facebook. Today, I did an experiment. I watched my boys play. 
As I sat quietly in the corner of the room, I tallied how many times they looked at me for various reasons. To see if I saw their cool tricks, to seek approval or disapproval for what they were doing, and to watch my reactions. I couldn't help but wonder if I was on some sort of technology, what message would I have been sending? 28 times, my angels would have wondered if the World Wide Web was more important than them. 28 times, my boys would have received the attention most adults, wouldn't have received the attention most adults are searching for. 28 times, my loves would have questioned if they were alone emotionally. 28 times, my kids would have been reassured that who you are online is what really matters. In a world where we are accepted as who people perceive us to be and not who we really are. In a world where validation comes from how many followers or likes we have. In a world where quality time comes from the loved ones being, in, being replaced by isolation and text messages from the other room. I beg you to be different. Please put down your technology and spend some time with your family and loved ones. The next generation of children is counting on us to teach them to be adults. Don't be too busy on social media. You never know who is watching you and what messages you are sending. Wow. Can you see why that went viral? I was really moved by this. And I read another article this week that talked about uh, people my age and older, we kind of assume that it's the young teenagers that are on their phones more than us, and it's really the adults my age on up that are on the phone more than the kids. Now, our kids are on the phone, and they're feeling good about it socially. You know, they're just interacting, and it's kind of a social thing. And for our age group, we don't think that's like a really good value. So we justify it, and this is what the article said, because we're working. So we're checking our um, email and distracted by all of that, and we're actually doing it more than the kids. What are the message we're sending to those around us when we are so distracted? Maybe you're not distracted by your phone. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's depression. Or something else that came to your mind when I shared this. Whatever distracts you from your loved ones needs to be brought into balance. It's time to look up and notice those around you. This whole idea of being distracted is really a big deal. Because we've become so distracted, we think God is distracted too. Psalm 37, 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. The Bible encourages us to look up and see the harvest. When we are distracted, the people around us are missing out too. My hope here today is that each one of us can look up. We can have and know that we have a Father in Heaven who sees us. We can look up in our relationships and let's not be so consumed by our phones and technology and other distractions that we miss those who are already in our lives. When we look up, we see the stars which represent the promises of God. Like Abram, the stars numbered the descendants he would have, not the ones he actually had at the time when his wife was barren. We look up because when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw others to himself. We look up to connect the next generation to Jesus. We look up to fix our eyes on Jesus. The storm ends and we arrive at our destination. We look up, we see the fields ready for harvest. We understand our purpose. We look up to where our help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth.
When we invite Jesus into our situation, into our fears, everything changes. My friends, it's time to look up and see Jesus who is already here. Hebrews 12, 1 says, And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I want to take a quick moment to introduce Sabrina. She's coming to share a spoken word, which she wrote, and it's called Look Up. It captures the heart of the message about distractions, and this is just another great way to communicate this truth. Let's welcome Sabrina. I've heard it said, it's largely a problem of this generation, but I craft these words with the belief regardless this topic bring life to a nation. We tend to think of life in terms of reality show highlights, movie sound bites, video game scenarios, tweetable moments, or status-worthy updates. Somehow we're convinced they last longer that way. But you can't see past the explosions, either the ones that have already happened or the ones you anticipate see the former paralyzes. Like driving down life near rearview mirror, coming full speed across traffic, so shell-shocked who digitally plugged in to duck when the bullets are flying. Or the latter, your life a routine of constant capturing, first name Nikon, so focused on the finish line, you stepped right on the landmine, so ready to attack the day, so frustrated you can't find your keys, focus on the mornings you finna missed, and the traffic you finna sit in to realize you've had your keys this whole time. Slow down, in the perfect world we wouldn't lose sight of God, so odd that we struggle relating with people while utterly lost in the virtual. Maybe it's a society we're living in. Maybe it's one of the enemy's many battlefields. Her name is May, a single mother in the midst of tossing seas, and she's looking up, eyes affixed, rain painting on the canvas of her cheeks as thunder pounds its fists against surfaces of her heart, who knew within thunderstorms one could still form smiles, black and blue bruises are bulging down her limbs, close acquaintances might have been too accustomed to the virtual reality to see, see these scars and marks on May's body and sees the opportunity to be a testament of healing and of his glory. Amidst all the activities, supposed digital companies look up and say, I see you, I see you, May. I see that your body has been an obstacle course. Scars that have shown to you that girls like you ought to be handled with force, but I see you. Rather than being all about all the matters, I've got to attend on my timeline. If it's time you want, I ain't got it. If it's attention you want, it's held up elsewhere on a four-inch screen. Maybe May's tail ain't really meant to be pitied, cause May stays looking up in turmoil. Her gaze is a requiem. May is looking up, even though she's never read the New Testament. Eyes looking up, fixed upon God, just to get a revelation. May is looking up. 
looking up as a she was the moon finally embracing the morning, looking up towards the sun as if death and life were in the palette of her eyes. She's looking up towards the sun as if repression was a condition only God knew the definition of, and she's looking up, looking up for her truth while everybody else happens to be looking down looking down to tweet IG, Facebook, Messenger, to bash, poop, and repeat. Think of all the moments we're missing, all the glory we're not witnessing. Find the people with rain painted on the canvas of their cheeks. Find those thunderstorm smiles, cause everywhere is a May looking for truth. So Lord, Lord, help me to pay closer attention. I said, Lord, help me to pay closer attention. I'm attracted to things oh so unworthy to mention. My heart is guaranteed distractions like drifting downstream. Seems you don't have to do anything to be taken away. Surely the current will pull you. It's something Peter didn't do because he was so focused, his gaze on you. Other things want to win our attention. See the tangible gravity that pulls our hearts astray. Reminder to adjust our focus for some. It's the case we've made a God out of our social media prison cells while being all surrounded by maze. Pray we be aware of these distractions lest the devil use it to his utmost advantage. So I say, look up. What holds your heart's attention, church? at Emmanuel to call all the ladies forward and we're going to have a quick time of prayer at the altar. So whether you're a mom or not a mom, if you're a teenager or a young adult, if you're, you know, even younger than that and you're a lady and you're in the room, if you could make your way up to the front, we're not going to keep you very long, but it's so fun to see all your beautiful faces all together. And at the same time, I'm going to ask my husband to join me up here. what brought you here today. Maybe you're May that was talked about in the spoken word. You're in a broken place of life and you've got scars on your body to prove it. But as May did, she looked up and she saw Jesus. Perhaps you're one of the other people I talked about earlier and you're discouraged. I want you to hear me say, look up. Jesus is already watching. Others of you need to stay on the journey because you've got others coming behind you that need you to look up. There's, there's so much confusion and distractions in life. And so, Pastor Nate, I'm gonna ask you to come and pray for the ladies and share a few encouraging things. I, uh, I believe that the love of God is stronger than anything, amen? 
I believe that the love of God has the capacity to take those things which have been broken, hurt, messed up, and weave it back together again. The love of God restores that which has been lost and gives hope for the future. It's the love of God that we trust in today, not our own love, right? And even now, I would encourage you in your own heart to not look at the storm, to not look at the past, to not look at all the things that would be negative because you'll miss the love of God. But if you would, as Jody preached today, look up. Everybody said, look up. If you look up, your redemption draws nigh. That's what the scripture says. It's your hope and he comes. And on both campuses, if we could right now, you just put your hand on the shoulder of the people that are next to you. We've got a whole bunch of ladies. There's not a whole bunch of guys left. <laughs> Guys, if you could with me as we pray, can you just stretch your hand out as if you were putting a hand on their shoulder? And we're going to pray with you today. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you know us, that you were there when we were being shaped in our mother's womb. At that moment, you were already detailing experiences and appointments for our future. And along the way, we've met many of those appointments. And then we've got off the path in different parts of the journey and other people tried to stop your plan in our life. But Lord, today we declare that your destiny is still in play. It's still in motion. You haven't left us nor forsaken us. You have a future for every woman under the sound of my voice. And I thank you, God, that you can weave all things together for those that love you. And like Joseph, Lord, who looked at his brothers who meant something for evil, you were able to move and do something through Joseph where you, where he was able to say that they meant it for evil, but God turned it to good. And I pray, God, that you would turn things to the good, that there would be hope welling up in our hearts, a vision, if you will, in our souls, that something is out there and we're going to win. We're going to make it. We're going to finish the race because you are with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill each and every person, that they would feel the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord would be their strength this very day. I pray, God, for divine appointments and miracles to break out, Lord, in this congregation. For those, oh God, that are aspiring, Lord, to be uh, a parent, I pray, God, that you do miracles, Lord, that you would help them to conceive. For those that are feeling, experiencing loss, I pray, God, that they would experience the joy and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would experience, Lord, the purposes and the plans of God that no man can stop. And Lord, that we would find and discover how high and how long and how wide and how deep the love of God truly is for us.